0: Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. I'm always going to be a black friend, aren't I? That's all anybody ever sees. I'm never just an actor, I'm always an Indigenous actor. Hey, I love reppin', but I don't hear old Joe Bloggs over here being called white Anglo-Saxon actor, blah-de-blah. I'm always in the black show, the black play. I'm always the angry one, the tracker, the drinker, the thief. But sometimes I just want to be seen for my talent, not my skin colour, not my race. I hate being a token, a boxer tick, part of some diversity angle. Oh, what are you whinging for? You're not a real one anyway. You're only part. Well, what part, then? My foot, my arm, my leg? You're the black blacker you're not. You want to do a DNA test? Come suck my blood. How are we to move forward if we dwell on the past? That's your privilege. You get to ask that question. As we can dance, and we're good at sport. You go to weddings, we go to funerals. No, 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 you're not your ancestors. It's not your fault you have white skin, but you do benefit from it. You can be okay. I have to be exceptional. I mess up, I'm done. There's no path back for me. There's no road to redemption. Being black and successful comes at a cost. You take a hit whether you like it or not because you want your blacks quiet and humble. You can't stand up, you have to sit down. Ask the brother boy, Adam Goods. A kid says some racist shit, not ignorant, racist. Calling a black an ape, come on, man, we was flora and fauna before 1967. No, actually, we didn't even exist at all. But he got it, this was a kid. This was a learning moment, he taught that kid a lesson. But did they like that? A black man standing up for himself? Nah, they didn't like that. You shut up, boy. You stay in your lane. Anytime you touch a ball, we're going to boo your ass. So he showed him a scary black, throwing imaginary spears and shit. And did they like that? Oh, no, no, no. They didn't like that. Every arena, every stadium, they booed him. It's because the way the flog plays football. Bullshit. No one booed him the way they booed him until he stood up and said something about race. The second he stood up, everybody came out of the woodworks to give him shit. And what, he's supposed to sit there and take it? Well, I tell you right now, Adam Goodes has taken it. His whole life he's taken it. I've taken it. No matter what, no matter how big, how small, I'll get some racist shit on a weekly basis and I'll take it. You know, it used to be that in your face, you bong, you black dog coon kind of shit. Gonna chase you down the ditch with my baseball bat skinhead shit when I was 14 years old. But nah, we come forward, we're progressive. We're gonna give you that small, subtle shit. The shit that's always been there, but it's not that obvious in your face shit. It's that, oh, no, we can't be seen to be racist kind of shit. Security guard, following me around the store, asking to search my bag. They're walking up to the counter first and being served second or third or last kind of shit. They're hailing down a cab and watching it slow down to look at my face and then drive off more than once, more than twice, more than once twice on any one occasion. Yeah, that shit I'll get weekly. Sometimes I'll get days in a row if I'm really lucky. And that's the kind of shit that I'm letting them think they're getting away with. Because to be honest, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered teaching their ignorant asses on a daily basis. I don't have the energy or the enthusiasm. It's exhausting and I like living my life. But then on occasion, when you call me on a bad day where I don't feel like taking it, I'll give you that angry black you've been asking for and I'll tear you in, you asshole. Not because of that one time, because of my whole life. At least Adam danced and they still pissed and moaned. But it's not about that one time, it's about all those times. And seeing us as animals and not as people, that shit needs to stop. Black deaths in custody, that shit needs to stop. I don't want to be what you want me to be, I want to be what I want to be. Never trade your authenticity for approval. Be crazy. Take a risk. Be different. Offend your family. Call them out. Silence is violence. Complacency is complicity. I don't want to be quiet. I don't want to be humble. I don't want to sit down.
1: You're on 3RRR. The program is The Mission. My name is Declan Ferber Gillick, a.k.a. Gizmo D., a.k.a. Nomad, a.k.a. Dectron Electron, whatever you want to call me. Uh, and that was the sounds of Maine Wyatt's monologue from Q&A, recorded on ABC's Q&A last night, uh, and that is from Maine's um, autobiographical play, City of Gold, um, which he um, he premiered last year in 2019. I'm filling in for Daniel James again this week and next week. Thank you for tuning in again. Um, it's really good to be back on air talking with you. I've uh, got a really jam-packed show tonight. Um, before I do that, just like to give a shout-out to all the Wurundjeri mob, all the Bunurong Wurrung, mobs. mobs. Um, I'm an Aranda man from Central Australia, and I live here on and Country. Um, and if you're listening and you don't know that by now um, where you're living, um, check it out because um, there's plenty of ways to look into the names and the history and the culture and the language groups and the mobs of whatever country you find yourself listening to this program on. Uh, I'm privileged myself to live up on Jar Jar Run country um, and we had a really fantastic turnout there in central Victoria for the Black Lives Matter um, event on Saturday night. A uh, big shout out to Nelda Run and um Uncle Rick and Auntie Julie and Kath and Camillo and Natalie and everyone who put in a lot of work to organize that event. Um, it was a really exciting moment and um, as I'm sure a lot of people know uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of movement and there's a lot of um, black media at the moment and um, yeah, I'm really proud to be a part of that and, um, and um, to bring you hopefully quality media. So thank you for tuning in I have coming up on my show an interview in the second half with the wonderful uh, Gary Foley. None other than Gary Foley um, is going to be on the line and he's going to have a yarn with us um, a bit about his involvement with the uh, with the St Kilda Fest- uh, Film Festival, um, which is sh- 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 going to be Uh, online this year. So we're going to have a bit of a chat about that, but I'm going to get in and dig into some other questions um, with Gary because you don't get to talk to the man very often. So really looking forward to that. Uh, And then in the first half of the show, I'm going to have an interview very soon actually uh, with Narita Waite, who is the co-chair of National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Services and also the CEO of Victorian Aboriginal Legal Services. And uh, we're going to have a chat with her about Change the Record um, and a bit about the Black Lives Matter movement um, and community response, and in particular, we're going to have a little bit of a look and a talk about um, Royal Commission into uh, children in custody, and in particular, a hand uh, a decision that was handed down by the High Court. Um, in the last week. So stay tuned, got a jam packed hour of radio, uh, and I'm actually going to perform a piece of spoken word myself in the last five or ten minutes. So uh, stay tuned, great to have you company. My name's Declan Furber you're tuned to The Mission. Keep it real.
2: Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7.
1: Now, last week, the um, the High Court of Australia um, handed down a decision finding that the use of tear gas on children in detention was unlawful and amounted to battery, um, and that the use of tear gas on children in such circumstances is. Um, oh, sorry. Part of part of the media release that um, Change of Record have put out um, have they've, um, they've stated here that the use of tear gas on children in such circumstances is cruel and inhumane under international law and should be expressly prohibited um so people may hopefully recall um the royal commission into the abuse and, abuse and mistreatment of children in youth detention um, that occurred uh following a, a four corners doc, uh, four corners documentary investigation in um, 2016 which was put together um over the over 2 years leading up to that and that was into um the dondale uh, Don detention center up in um in darwin in the northern territory um so yeah, I have on the line to chat with me about that finding and, and, about, um, and about Change the Record in, in general. Um, Narita Waite, who is co-chair of National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Services. Um, can you hear me there, Narita? Yes, I
3: can.
1: Hey, um, thanks for calling in today. Um, where are you calling in from?
3: Um, I'm calling in from Epping, which is a suburb in the north of Melbourne. Um, and is a country.
1: Yeah, nice one. Hey, um, thanks for thanks for calling in. Um, um, we've got here your your the statement that um that change the records put out. Can you tell listeners a little bit about what um like change the record is and what your involvement in it is, and and, and a bit about your role and what you do in general? Uh,
3: so, just in terms of um, so so napples are. Uh, the National Peak Body for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Services. Um, our members have over 40 years' experience in the provision of legal advice, assistance, representation, community legal education, advocacy, law reform activities, and prisoner through care to our communities um, who are in contact with the justice system. Um, and we are the experts on justice issues affecting and concerning Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And as part of um, our role as ex, um, expert and the National Peak, um, we are a member of Change the Record, uh, which is Australia's only national Aboriginal-led justice coalition of Aboriginal peak bodies and non-Indigenous allies. Um, they work to end the incarceration of and family violence against Aboriginal and Strait Islander people. Um, everything they do is strength-based, culturally focused and grounded in Aboriginal and, in Aboriginal and Strait Islander self-determination and rights. Um, the Change Record Coalition is led by two Aboriginal and South Islander co-chairs, um, which uh, one of them is actually currently vacant, but the other one is occupied um, by my lovely co-chair colleague, uh, Cheryl Ax- um, Axelby, um, who is not only um, one of our wonderful co-chairs of, of uh, NUTSALS and Change Record, but also the incredible CEO of our South Australian NUTSALS.
1: Okay, great. Thank you for that comprehensive um, rundown. Um, now I'm sure I'm sure that the last couple of weeks has been um, like it has been for you know black fellows all around the country um, a, a pretty a pretty heavy time um, and I'm curious about you know what what um, what are the conversations been like within change of record um, you know relating to this international black lives matter movement um, and in particular in response to this high court finding and, and if you can tell us a little bit more about that high court finding that'd be great
3: mm. Um, So certainly, yeah, the record are taking this opportunity um, that uh, the tragic death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement um, have brought into Australia. As we talk about um, some of the key things that will assist in ending deaths in custody, Um, so those include ending the mass imprisonment of Aboriginal and Islander peoples by repealing punitive bail laws, mandatory sentencing laws, and decriminalising public drunkenness. Um, Stop imprisoning our children and raise the age of legal responsibility from 10 to at least 14. Uh, End racist policing and require police accountability by ending the practice of police investigating police and legislating for an independent investigation of death in custody and resourcing independent police oversight bodies. Implementing all recommendations uh, for the Royal Commission's Aboriginal Death in Custody and the countless independent investigations, coronal inquests and reports that have been published in the three decades since. Um, and also in end the abuse, torture and solitary confinement of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in police and prison cells through legislative safeguards and by urgently establishing the independent bodies to oversee conditions of detention and treatment of people in accordance with our obligations under the optional protocol there's a Convention Against Torture Cruel, Inhuman or Degrading Treatment of Punishment, most colloquially known as Bobcat, Uh which directly really do, uh, links to the Dondale High Court ruling um, in many respects. Obviously, um, we we welcome the High Court decision, um, confirming that the use of tear gas on children in Dondale in 2014 was unlawful. Um, we need to acknowledge the harm and distress that these kids and their families have experienced in the incident, and also acknowledge the important work that lawyers at the Northern Aboriginal Law Justice Agency, commonly referred to as NAJA, um, have done to seek justice for the kids. Last week's High Court decision found that the use of tear gas on children with prevention was unlawful and amounted to battery. The use of tear gas on children in such circumstances is cruel and humane under international law and should be expressly prohibited. So, you know, in considering this Dondell decision, you really have to think, uh, why are we actually locking up kids in harmful institutions where these brutal tactics are used instead of supporting them to thrive in our communities, focusing on early intervention programs focusing on justice reinvestment. Um, you know, most Aboriginal kids are on remand or mocked up for minor offences, things like property damage, um, things like fines. Um, if the last two weeks has taught us anything, it should be there's a better way of incarceration. Um, one of the things that's really important to note is that this isn't an isolated incident. The whole system needs accountability and reform, and the treatment of Aboriginal older kids and youth attention centres is horrific. Uh, you know, you've seen the shocking images of an Aboriginal teenager at Dondale hooded and shackled to a chair, which sparked the Royal Commission into the abuse and mistreatment of children children's detention, um, yet those recommendations haven't been acted on. Uh, in Banksia Hill in WA, um, there are reports of kids in isolation for over 300 days. That's the most part of the year. Um, in Queensland, there was hog-tying and sedating kids. Um, there's holding kids in watch houses, using dogs on kids um, that occur here in my own state of Victoria. Uh, last weekend, I'm sure you also saw the scenes of police, police tear-gassing people at Long Bay Prison, which just shows that places of detention and custody are not safe for our people. Um, the Guardian has reported there have been 437 Aboriginal prisoners deaths in custody. On the weekend alone, an Aboriginal man died in custody at um, um, just right near Perth whilst these Black Lives Matter protests were going on and Aboriginal man was dying. Aboriginal women was also hospitalized Sunday night and it's in a critical condition following an alleged Western Australian prison guard at, um, at a prison in Perth and the allegations was that she was body slammed by a prison guard. You know, each year across Australia, 600 children are locked up and many more are hauled through the criminal league system. We appear to have been out laws and policing. Even though our kids are less than 10% of the total youth population, we're 70% um, of the prison population.
1: And and I know this word like you know children gets thrown around a lot, and I just want to really clarify for listeners and, and get and get your your kind of um you know your view on it. But um, when we say kids, we mean kids because um, the age of legal responsibility um, is is ten, um, and so we're really talking about children here. And where where is it? Where is the age ten? Is that across the country?
3: Correct. So the age of legal responsibility across the nation is 10, um, yet our international counterparts uh, use a more dignified approach and sometimes um, their legal age of responsibility in New York is as much as 17. In other jurisdictions, it varies anywhere between 14 to 16 years of age. They understand that children's minds uh, are developing at that age and they actually don't have um, the ability, based on medical evidence, Um, to actually have legal responsibility. And you've got to remember that many of our kids um, come from a background of trauma and loss. Uh, Many of the kids that I used to see in my days as a legal practitioner were children who were committing petty offences because they were traumatised and they were feeling repressed and though they didn't matter... Because all the time they've taken from their families and room child protection, where they're moving from home to home, school to school, never having any safe, any safety or stability, and feeling like they've just been ripped out of their culture. Um, children don't often speak with their words; they speak with their actions, and that's what you see with these kids. And locking them up in prison and treating them like they are adults and criminalising them at such a young age means that you affect their ability to thrive and survive in future. How are they going to achieve VCE and get into a university and then get a good job and set themselves up if they're spending the majority of their time in prison as a child? Um, We also need to think about... With these kids, how about we focus on actually addressing their needs and their trauma? How about we focus on justice reinvestment? Um, How about we focus on increasing our diversion options? And also, how about we really look at how we treat children um, with minor offending? And particularly, how about we stop applying the same bail laws we apply to adults to kids um, who are in primary school at 10 years of age?
1: Narita, I'm um, I'm 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 curious. I think you used the phrase justice justice reinvestment, um, and I, I want to pick up on that and ask you: um, What's the role of um, of Aboriginal Legal Services in general um, at at a, at a time like this? And what are the what are some of the specific reforms and that justice reinvestment that um, that you and your organisation works for?
3: Hmm. So justice reinvestment isn't typically a catchphrase or a program. It's an, involved, it's an evolving process that involves people and communities coming together to drive collaboration that creates a lasting change. So what's at the heart of it, really, is that idea that a safe society comes from building strong communities and that communities themselves are best place to identify which problems affect them most and what strategies to, tr- uh, to try in order to actually address those issues. Um, it's looking at data, it's looking at community experiences, and it's building on that to tailor something that works for everybody. Um, and something that can have that continuous process of community feedback and development so that it continually adapts to community needs. Um, That's really important in addressing uh, the criminalisation of our communities and decriminalising them, um, but also really focusing on those children who are in and out of child protection and youth justice because of the trauma that they're suffering. Um, Justice reinvestment is something that, Every ATSL does in different ways. Um, it's quite hard, though, to get the investment needed um, to conduct those activities because we're often pinched hold into just providing uh, culturally safe legal services. Um, and there's a lack of understanding that arts like mine and many others, not just fantastic at delivering legal advice, but we also deliver crucial community services and that if you invest in us, you invest in community and then you'll actually see not just those short-term gains that look great on paper, but long-lasting societal change, which means that generations uh, will have an opportunity to thrive, not just survive.
1: And what I mean at the moment, we're seeing um, so much unrest in the U.S., and we're seeing you know years and years and centuries really of um, of pent up energy and rage and trauma and grief boil over, um, and we can see that um, it affects our people here. And we you know we 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 have this parallel experience that we often don't feel as though gets the same amount of attention. In the last week, I think it's fair to say there's been a real uh, a real a spotlight shone on our situation here. What what do you think um you know how how has been your what's your experience been of being a part of you know communities and organizations that talk about this how do people feel and what's been what's been the mood and the feeling within within organizations and within networks and what in your view, um, can we learn from what we're seeing in America at the moment, both in terms of the action taken and in terms of some of the some of the, the big changes that we've already started to see, like you know um, states you know states defunding police and police being fired, and you know we're seeing we're seeing big changes. So, what do you think we can learn from that, and what's been the mood within the, within our community as you're a part of it?
3: Um, it's been difficult for me to see the outrage that Australia's had around the death of George Floyd. And we've seen very little of that when Aboriginal people here in our own backyard have died as of state-sanctioned violence. Um, of course, I'm mortified injured by the senseless murder of yet another African-American man. But we do have many Aboriginal men and women in Australia who died at the hands of authorities. You know, police brutality is not unique to the U.S. Um, if you look at the matter of David Dungay in 2015, who was a 25-year-old Aboriginal man who died in circumstances his family described as strikingly similar to Floyd. Um, Dungay spoke the same words as Floyd, I can't breathe, 12 times before losing consciousness and dying while being restrained by five prison guards in Long Longvale Jail hospital. Uh, the actions here uh, and abroad in America are destructive, horrifying and irresponsible, but they're not unsurprising um, and we can't pretend they are. This violence has gone on for many generations only now it's not so easy the height and these instances are coming to the glaring attention of the world thanks to technology advances like social media um, but also, you know, changes in societal values. Um, What I would hope that people are taking from this is that achieving true justice and equality for our people is our biggest issue Um, and it ties into so many things. It ties into that there have been 437 deaths in custody. It ties in that, you know, nobody's been that systemic racism is so entrenched in institutions um, that have just been derivative of each other since colonisation. Those things can't be ignored. Um, and I'm glad that mainstream Australia is opening their eyes and seeing this, but what I, what I need them to do is translate um, that feeling um, of anger and frustration into action, uh, into not only protesting, but looking at how they can enact some long-term change. You know, contact your local, state and federal MPs about the issues. Donate to families seeking justice and fund Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander-run legal and community services. Educate yourself. Um, lend your platform to our issues and fight for equality and justice and educate your family. Have the tough conversations and start it from an early age. Um, these things... Will mean that there will be that continual societal change, but also use your democratic right and vote in state and national governments that actually care about justice and equality for all, rather than for just one group.
1: Yeah, I um, I think that something that we that we that you know the whole country suffers from here is that we haven't had um, you know, a broad institutionalized set of educational. Um, praxis or principles that actually tell a true story about this country, and so what what that means is that we've got generations of non-Aboriginal people who um, who who have been effectively lied to and fed a particular myth about this country, um, and so it so often falls upon you know people like yourself and people like me to. Do that heavy lifting and that educational work, um, and I think you know what you said there was spot on. Is that it's you know what we're asking people to do is is leverage and 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 actually take responsibility for that democratic right um, that we have to to self educate and to educate you know one another and for non Aboriginal people in the community too. To recognise that they've been lied to, and recognise that you know that, that there is a that there is a pain, but on the other side of the pain, there is a a deep sense of like connectedness to truth and justice, which is ultimately more nourishing, um, and that involves doing some of that heavy lifting and seeking out um, the information and ways that you can effectively contribute and leverage your own power in society.
3: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, for me, um, this should be the pivotal moment that starts off a nationwide truth-telling moment. Um, it is time that you know the true history uh, of Australia is taught in schools um, at all levels—early education, primary school, secondary school, territory school, um, territory education. Um, it's time that it is embedded in our, embedded in our understanding, and that we actually reimagine and transform systems so that they work for. Not, for not only mainstream Australia, but most importantly, the original inhabitants of this land, our First Nations communities. Um, it is time that we are not imprisoned and criminalized purely based on our race. Um, it is time that we end racist policing and require police accountability. It is time that we end mass imprisonment. And it is time that we invest in our communities and let them determine what works best for them.
1: To, you know, actually achieve generational change. Um, hey, Narita, I want to give um, people a bit of a, a link that they can follow, or ways to um, to get involved more and contribute financially. I, I know there's a I know there's a link on the NATSILS, so that's um, National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Service, and that's NATSILS. I know that if people search that um, and and search for um, black deaths in custody. Um, uh, there is a GoFundMe campaign. Um, could you, can you talk about any other any other ways that people can contribute financially or how they can get involved? I know that people can also follow uh, Natsals on Facebook and Twitter. Um, what else can you suggest?
3: Um, I suggest that they go out and they follow their local apples um, on social media um, and link up to their website. Um, that, if possible, uh, they utilise. Um, resources that are on our social media, that are our pages to educate themselves about justice issues facing our communities across um, civil, criminal, family, um, and that they also look at other ways um, of engaging in Aboriginal issues, such as uh, Indigenous X, Change the Record, um, Titters for Titters, uh, podcasts like Pretty Black to Aboriginal, Amy McGuire's the podcast, uh, your show, um, to be obvious. Um, and then also for the kids, look at books like *Dark in You*, uh, *Our Home*, *Our Heartbeat* by Briggsy, um, books by Bronwyn Bancroft, Sally Morgan. Um, you know the beautiful book by Anne Joy Murphy called *Welcome to Country*. Um, and you know for those who don't like to read and instead like to watch, there's movies and TV shows like *Robert Scents First Australians um, After the Apology*. Australia's New Soul Generation, Wick versus Queensland, In My Blood It Runs, Utopian Mabo, Mabo Growing Up Aboriginal in Australia, um, and many more. Um, and NITV have wonderful resources for adults and children alike. So I strongly encourage them to go out and do that. Um, but like I said, write to their state, local and national MPs and argue for change and echo the calls um, that Change the Record is making.
1: Hey, thank you so much for calling in, Narita. And I just want to like affirmed, you know, just for our benefit and and for the benefit of like Blackfellas listening, because I know I know we have a big audience. Like, um, you know, we make a lot of media, and and some of it's you know hard hitting truth telling, and a lot of it is really you know um, an exaltation of of Black living, and 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 a sto- and stories about. Um, how powerful we are and how proud we are as people and um, you know we we're part of a we're part of a beautiful and proud and strong tradition of human beings and um, I think often we get often we get sort of funneled into telling trauma stories and um, there's got to be you know there's got to be um, a bit of that soul and that love and that spirit um, and so yeah and and so thank you look so much for coming on the show today and um, it's I know firsthand it's um it's a really it's a very quite a distressing time really at the moment um, to be black in this country. Um, so thank you so much for your time and for the work you do and, and putting in that time to, um, to educate online and to, to broadcast because broadcast media is a way to have one conversation that reaches, you know, 100,000 people maybe. So thank you so much. No,
3: thank you for your time.
1: All right. I'll speak to you soon. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at
3: rrr.org.au.
1: You are me, Declan Ferber Gillick, and you're on the mission. Uh, it's 3 Triple R 102.7 FM and online. Uh, I'm about to have a yarn with someone who is involved with the St Kilda Film Festival 2020, uh, which has announced that it will be this year online from Friday, 12th of June to Saturday, 20th of June. The festival will feature uh, the 1977 film Backroads, directed by uh, Phil Noyce and co-starring Gary Foley, Bill Hunter. i uh, got Gary on the line. Uh, doesn't really need too much of an introduction, but I'll give you a brief one and say he's a uh, Gumbanger historian, activist, writer and general troublemaker who I understand is currently professor at Mundani Bullock Indigenous Academic Unit at Vic Uni. Um, you there, Gary?
2: That's correct, yep.
1: Um, thanks for calling in this evening. And you requested that uh, that track, that Dylan track, Song to Woody. Um, maybe um, you could, um, you know, start by giving us a little bit of a yarn about what that track yeah. means to you.
2: Well, I mean, I, I chose that track because it it is from the last time, an era that was the last time that we saw the convergence of so many movements internationally at a certain point in history. And um, when Dylan wrote that song, not long after that, the big issue internationally was uh, apartheid in South Africa. And in Australia, they developed a big uh, white uh, um, anti-apartheid movement who were challenged by Aboriginal activists who said, well, what about here in Australia? And those movements converged with the huge anti-war movement at the time and mixed in with the politics of what was coming out of Oakland, California with the Black Panther Party, and politics there merged and created something spectacular that came out of Redfern in 1972 and resulted in the Aboriginal Embassy, which changed the course of Australian history. So it gives a little bit of a context to what's going on around us today, and I think it's important for the young black people today, whoever, whatever mob, uh, who are getting enthused about this, I think it's important that you have some sort of a... Uh, historical context to to what you're doing so you understand your place in history and the possibilities that lay before you. How's that for a rave?
1: Hey, that's a good start, mate. Um, and you, and you were you were living in Redfern um, in, in 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 the early 70s, and you were part of the Black Movement's um, sort of transition over to here, the Black Power Movement's transition over into Australia. I know there's a bunch of great photos from that era, and you know the beginnings of the of the Ten Embassy, which is, um, is still there today. Um, so I'm wondering if you can, you know, for, for yourself there as a young man living in in the city, you know, what, what parallels in particular do you see um, with what we're seeing um, what we're seeing now.
2: I've always said that uh, the key thing that happened to me that politicised me overnight was when I got bashed by New South Wales police from the 21 Division in Redfern when I was 17 years old. And my experience was uh, common in the Redfern Aboriginal community at the time it was the biggest Aboriginal community in Australia there were 35,000 Aboriginal people living in Redfern all in poverty but it was a dynamic and exciting community that came together on the issue of uh, initially police brutality and police harassment of Aboriginal young Aboriginal people in Redfern you know so the the issue for me, in 1967, was exactly the same issue that's out there today that's being sort of talked about all over the world, you know. And, and like I said, um, the, the Black Power Movement in Australia, the, the Black Power Collective in Redfern that created the first legal services, health services, all these things, and, and were, were directly responsible for the Aboriginal Embassy, um, we... we merged our movement into those other movements and created this huge mass movement in Australia in 1971 where there were a series of major Aboriginal land rights demonstrations up and down the east coast of Australia which led the then Prime Minister in becoming so nervous that he made the mistake of making a stupid statement on Australia Day 1972 and that triggered the Aboriginal Embassy. And the Aboriginal Embassy changed the course of Australian history. So those young people who are out there today know the possibilities that lay before you and don't, like us, take your eye off the ball. The key lesson from the old days is maintain your vigilance. Be ever alert against those who might try and divide you and those who might try and subvert what you're doing.
1: I want to pick up on that because I have heard you um, speak about... Um, the sort of the bureaucratization and the institutionalization of the Aboriginal movement in this country, and I know that you know you were you and, and many others were organising at a community level and having big community wins for years. And I know I've heard you talk about the the emergence of um, the sort of professional the professional and political black class in the early 90s. And I've heard you say that you know prior to that, you know Aboriginal people were were basically poor and, and I and I in in this country. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that that sense of when things become um, bureaucratized and and that that transition from a community movement into a more institutionalized, more kind of bureaucratically validated, um, um, you know, um, defanged kind of power, and a little bit about your experience of that, and and what to look out for, and why it's important to understand why things have got to have a strong community base.
2: Well, um, I've always uh, I've always said that when the great upheaval, black upheaval in Redfern occurred in the late 60s, early 70s, at that time there was no black middle class. They just did not exist. I mean, Aboriginal people in Australia were universally poor. There may have been one or two or three people who were you might call middle class, but that's all nationally. Now... After the success of the Aboriginal Embassy, the international embarrassment that that created for the Australian Government, the, when Whitlam became Prime Minister, they changed tactics, and they they realised that 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 it was important to grab all of the best emerging minds from the Aboriginal community educate them, rope them into cadetships, into the public service. As soon as they recruited them into the public service, into the Commonwealth Public Service, they had to sign a little document that all public servants sign, which effectively shuts you up. You're not allowed to say anything. Uh, You're not allowed to have your own personal opinions. You're not allowed to express your own personal opinions. And so they, they shut up a whole uh, generation of potentially good activists. And in the process, they, um, you know, big salaries and all sorts of lurks and perks. It didn't take long for some of these people to think, oh, this is a good lifestyle, and they became, you know, part of the establishment, part of the system. And uh, some unkind people would say part of the new native police.
1: And, um, yeah, I had actually played played last week an interview with... um Uh, With Dr. Cornel West and he talks about people becoming accommodated to, I think that's a good phrase to use, when people become accommodated to those lurks and perks that you referred to. Um hey I wanted to to ask you because we we should talk a little bit about your involvement in the film festival and I want to talk with you specifically about your role as um not only as a as a as a, um you know as a public speaker and a historian as a as a grassroots organizer and activist but you know you've been a theater maker you started the first black um the first black theater in the country um along with Bob Mazur I believe it was and um Bob Mazur was the man
2: Bob Mazur started that yep. yeah but yeah I was with
1: him and you were with him, all right. Well, um, I want you to talk, maybe in reference to the film um, Backroads, which is going to be on in the in the festival, um, but also about your your show, Basically Black, and just about the importance that you know, and the role that art and um, the art the arts and media and filmmaking has played um, in 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 what you've done with your life. You know, call it a career, call it whatever you want, but what has been the role of arts and 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 if you can reference those um those 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 works that you've got coming up?
2: Well. Well, um, any uh, pretense I had about acting, you know, was uh, quickly dissolved after appearing in a film. But I never pretended I was an actor. Everything I did in uh, theatre, um, uh, films, television, always had a political end in mind. You know, I played a role in a. I played a role in country practice. I played a Aboriginal preacher, nine episodes, and ironically that that enabled me at that point in my life to reach the biggest audience I've ever reached, you know. And that Aboriginal uh, pastor that I played in that uh, country practice show was a pastor who advocated Aboriginal land rights. This was at a time when a lot of fundamentalist Christians in the outback were telling Aborigines that land rights was the work of the devil, you know, and that uh, that if they shouldn't speak their own language because uh, that was the language of the devil and if they spoke it, they'd go to hell. So all of my work... And the film Backroads is a classic example. Backroads is shown at the Sydney, uh, at the St Kilda Film Festival, because it's one of two really important uh, early Australian films of the 1970s wave of filmmaking, and it's it's historic because it's the first Australian film that Aboriginal people actually took um, significant control over the way in which they were portrayed and in uh, the, the way in which they were represented and, and the dialogue and uh, the, the plot, the works. And somebody once wrote back in the 70s that Backroads was a, was a, a result of the creative tension, I think they said, between myself and Phil Noyce.
1: Yeah, actually, I read online just today. I read online today that um, that you'd only you'd only agreed to, um, to to participate in the film if you could have a hand in the um, in the writing and, and in the framing.
2: Well, there was no point in uh, being involved otherwise. You know, here along comes this bloke, young, restless, reckless bloke, uh, same age as me, white fella, Phil Noise, um, says, "Hey, kid, you want to be in the movies?" I mean, my response was not, "Oh, gee." I'm going to be a movie star, make millions of dollars and maybe get an Oscar. My response in my mind was, ah, here's an opportunity maybe to to spread the word a bit further in a different sort of way. And that's what Backroads is. Backroads is, is um, you know, it's a very tough film. And uh, with a lot of people who look at it these days um, have critical of parts of it, but I mean what we set out to do, and what I set out to do, was to show Australian people the brutal reality of life for Aboriginal people in rural New South Wales in 1976. And all of the Aboriginal people in the film, except myself and Zach Martin, the two main actors, are Everybody, all Aboriginal people in that film are real people living in their real lives, in their real locations, in their real houses, in their real tin shacks. And that's, the, that's what I wanted to convey. I wanted to shock Australia and make them realise that, hey, you know, you pat yourselves on the back every Australia day and you tell yourselves that you're, you're a, a tolerant society and everything, but nothing could be further from the truth. And just on that point... The, the uh, uh, s- survey that was just released today in The Guardian shows that 75% of Australians harbour negative attitudes towards Aboriginal people. And all that is is a university study of 10 years in the Macon that proves what every Aboriginal person in Australia knows from the day they're born, that this is a racist society. You know, and the Prime Minister and most uh, Corman and all the other parade of Liberal Party ministers, including the the Aboriginal Affairs Minister Ken White, can get up there and make all the denial statements they like and rattle on with the platitudes and sort of talk or try and divert attention to the to people gathering in the middle of the pandemic rather than looking at the issue that thousands of people throughout Australia went out in the streets for i mean you know it 's a joke and uh, People, it needs to be seen as such. But anyway, the film Backroads is on next next Tuesday. It's also screening with another of Phil Noyce's films uh, called Castor and Pollux. When Phil Noyce first asked me to be part of this uh, this crazy idea of making a film, I wanted to see some of his work. I wanted to see what he'd done. And he showed me this film that he'd made when he was a student at the film and television school, which he'd only just gotten out of at the time. Uh, and this was... An, one of his earliest films, it's only a little 15-minute black and white film, but it is an absolutely brilliant film. And it was that film that convinced me that here was a white fella who was reckless enough and and brave enough to venture into the uh, unknown territory of Burke Reserve and Dodge City Reserve in Brewarrina in the midst of all these wild black fellas and, and try and make this movie. And so, you know... So I'd recommend anyone who wants to see it. And there's also a forum uh, where, that's being that's part of the film festival as well where myself and Phil Noyce uh, are inter- interviewed by Tony Birch, the, the writer and the professor of history. Um, and uh, that uh, discussion will be the first time that Phil Noyce and I have been in the same sort of space for 45 years and the first opportunity we've ever had to compare the different versions. Our own, you know, he's got a version of how backgrounds came to be made and the stories that happened during it. I've got a version of, of stories, and we we had a chance to compare our versions. <laughs> and I was able to have a go at him about uh, some things he said in the biography that was written of him by some German academic, which I thought was a bit funny. But anyway.
1: Well, that's a um, that's a great um, coming back together of, of what you described early on. Was you know this recognition of of this white fellow who's got this kind of nous about him and wants to come and come on that journey with you and and, and learn. And I, and I wanted to pick up a bit on that and say uh, and ask you, um, you know, for, for white fellows now, for non Aboriginal people now, or and and Aboriginal people as well. What what do you see as the next as the next step for maybe you know broadly called the left in Australia? You know, challenging challenging the. Um, the halls of power that still exist um, and, and, and and you know are not getting any smaller um, so i want I want to talk to you a little bit about what what is the situation in of the left in in this country and what 's the future of the left, and what are some things that we really should be focusing on? what are the key things um, that you think will will, will, um, will teach us about where we need to move next
2: um, well i mean we 're at a a unique moment in history it, these are Fantastically interesting times for me as a historian, but me as a person who lived through this last time. You know what what's happening now is extraordinary. Has uh, great resonance with what occurred in the late sixties, early seventies, when those huge mass movements, anti-war people in America and Australia, the Black Power movement in America, the anti-apartheid movement internationally, all of these things came together, and there's this. uh, great momentum that was achieved, and we all thought, wow, you know, changes around the corner. But like I say, we took our eye off the ball a bit. But then you also saw the emergence of the Margaret Thatchers and the Ronald Reagans and the neo neoliberals, uh, which included uh, the Hawke and Keating government. And and uh, the neoliberal economics has been the dominant force in politics for too long now, and maybe we're on the cusp. This, this pandemic has provided the sort of uh, instability that, uh, that creates all sorts of possibility. Anything can happen now. You know, and with a, with a nutcase as the President of the United States, I mean, that's another add to the mix that just sort of makes it more more volatile. So, you know, um, I, I say to the people who are protesting, keep up the pressure. Make, the, you know, make Australians start addressing the specific issues we're talking about here. You know, there's still, to this day, virtually no coppers or prison officers ever been charged with any of the hundreds of deaths that have occurred. And many, not all of those deaths are OK were the, respons- the responsibility of the, of, the, of the authorities, but many of them were. And nobody's been held accountable to this day. And this may well be the day of reckoning if we can keep the pressure up. And I, I pay tribute to the to the organisers of the Melbourne protest on Friday. I couldn't get there because it was too dangerous for me as an old codger. But I pay tribute to uh, Crystal McKinnon, Tarnin uh, Onus-Williams and Miriki Onus and all of the brothers and sisters and the crew, uh, all of them who were part of that uh, organisation. And they're doing, they're, going, they're doing great things. They managed to get 80,000 people onto the streets in Melbourne in, on Invasion Day in January. I mean, this, this is the first time in 50 years that I've seen uh, a good, strong, young, uh, uh, well-organised, uh, smart, bunch of uh, young activists out there doing what needs to be done and I wish them well and I pat them on the back.
1: Go Foley. Um, I think we're going to have to leave it there mate. Hey look, um, we all appreciate your time. Um, Thank you so much for your work over the years and thanks for calling in.
0: Uh, It's been a pleasure to talk to you.
1: No
2: worries. Good night folks.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.